0: Welcome to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. I'm June Grosso. Every day we bring you insight and analysis into the most important legal news of the day. You can find more episodes of the Bloomberg Law Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com slash podcasts.
1: The Senate is set for a final vote on the nomination of Brett Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court as Democrats continue to complain about the scope of the FBI investigation into sexual assault charges against Kavanaugh. Speaking with reporters yesterday, Senate Judiciary Committee Chairman Chuck Grassley remained confident in Kavanaugh's confirmation.
2: I feel very good about where this nomination is right now. Now, I don't say that from the standpoint of counting votes. I say that from the standpoint of the qualifications of this candidate
1: with us here now in the Bloomberg 991 studio is Greg Storr, Bloomberg News' crack Supreme Court reporter, and we are going to talk about what just happened moments ago uh, on the Senate floor. Maybe you can explain to our uh, listeners, you know, it was it's called a procedural vote, a key vote, a test vote, a cloture vote, but what really just happened there?
3: Well, technically what that does is it means that they can go ahead with the final vote. Uh, The senators cast votes that may or may not give indications of what they're going to do on the final vote. It means that we will know uh, tomorrow whether Brett Kavanaugh is a Supreme Court justice, but we don't know for sure uh, how that vote's going to come out.
4: And I was struck to see just how some of these key centrist Republicans did. Senator Jeff Flake, the retiring senator from Arizona, was a yes on cloture. Senator Susan Collins, another key centrist Republican from Maine, also a yes. Lisa Murkowski of Alaska voting no. And then, of course, the big shocker, there were literally gasps on the floor, reportedly, of the Senate. When Senator Joe Manchin, a centrist Democrat from West Virginia in a state, Greg, that candidate Donald Trump carried by 42 percentage points, voted yes. He voted with Republicans to advance this. But as you mentioned, he very
3: well could vote yes on cloture. And no for final passage, right? That's exactly right. And one possibility is that Senator Manchin could wait to see uh, which way the wind is blowing and, in particular, which way Susan Collins votes. So uh, Lisa Murkowski, I should say, just told reporters, a big scrum of them, just said, quote, in my view, he's not the best man for. For the court at this time. So uh, she has indicated she is going to vote no on final confirmation. What that means is it's down to three senators we don't know about for sure. Flake, Collins, uh, and Mansion. If Flake votes yes, then it's up to Susan Collins and Joe Manchin may may follow her one way or the other.
1: NBC News is reporting that Flake is telling them that he plans to vote yes on final confirmation. So if that uh, story holds up, we will it will really just be down to uh, to Collins and Manchin. I think this is one of the more bizarre rituals of Washington, where you have a a what seems like a vote of the United States Senate. Uh, that went 51-49 in Brett Kavanaugh's favor, and yet still, we don't actually know the final um, outcome. So explain why people vote yes on cloture and can still vote no on final.
3: Well, there there is uh, a notion that some senators still carry that a nominee deserves a vote. So one, one could imagine Susan Collins, for example, taking the position that I believe he deserves a vote and I'm going to vote no. We don't know that's how, how she's going to come out, but that's at least um, a, a, a possibility for how it will happen. And, of course, this all happens against the backdrop of uh, up until the, the nomination of Neil Gorsuch, uh, there was the ability to filibuster a Supreme Court nominee, meaning you had to have 60 votes to, to get to the next stage.
4: You know, I, what I find fascinating is just really how much of a local issue this has become for each of these senators. Senator Susan Collins is not up for re-election until 2020, but she faces potentially a challenger from the right up there, Governor LePage, who's a staunch ally of the president's and has been for quite some time. The president's son, Don Jr., campaigning at a main Republican fundraiser over the weekend with Governor LePage. Then you look at someone like Senator Manchin, where those polls have tightened increasingly, and he, of course, being a centrist Democrat. Democrat. This is Fascinating. More nationally speaking, in particular, the NPR PBS NewsHour poll that came out earlier this week found the enthusiasm gap evaporate in terms of Democrats and Republicans. Talk to me, Greg, about just how much, how unique this vote has become for this cultural moment in the U.S. that we're just, you know, over a day away from finding out what will happen.
3: Yeah, Kevin, as you said, uh, this is a highly unusual, if not a really uh, the first time in history that we've had a vote so big on a Supreme Court nominee right before an election. So uh, those uh, fie- those uh, those views that you just talked about are going to matter when people go out to vote for, for or against Joe Manchin uh, in just a few weeks. With Susan Collins, it's a little bit of a different calculation. Uh, you know, two years is a long time. Uh, this issue will fade uh, from the headlines. Uh, people may have moved on to other things, but she has to weigh the risk that people are going to remember how she voted here and it could come back to to, to bite her
1: So Greg, we have one of the we have one of the best Supreme Court reporters in Washington DC. I'll, I'll brag about you <laughs> for you. Uh, and it'd be a crime to only talk about politics. Let's talk about the court itself. Um people talk about Brett Kavanaugh cementing a conservative majority on this court for a generation. He's a he's a, only in his 50s. He could serve on there 20, 30 years easily. Talk let's put let's put ourselves in a time machine and pretend that he has just been confirmed to the United States Supreme Court. What does your story about that say? What does this historical moment for the court mean going forward?
3: Well, uh, as you said, this is a turning point for the court. We're, we're gonna end up with, most likely, the most conservative court we've had in 80 years, since since the New Deal. Uh, the court is unquestionably gonna move to the right on big issues like abortion affirmative action, federal regulation, uh, the power of the president, and really the 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 the. the key factor is going to be how quickly Chief Justice John Roberts is going to want to go. He's a very conservative guy, conservative justice who has consistently voted conservative, uh, with one big exception, that being uh, the Obamacare fight. Uh, but he's also somebody who cares a lot about the court's institutional standing. Uh, he doesn't want the court perceived as, as a political entity. Uh, That that is going to shift with the political winds and shift based on the membership of the court, which might mean that uh, he puts off the day where the court reconsiders Roe v. Wade, for example, and overturns some other uh, key precedents. But the court is certainly going to move to the right.
1: The, um, I mean, I think the other question that a lot of people have is about temperament. It's a word you're hearing a lot these days. Uh, we all saw Brett Kavanaugh's testimony um, last week. Emotional, I think, would be a fair word to describe it. Uh, with just a few seconds that we have left here, talk about how the, how he might fit in to the current Supreme Court in that way.
3: It will be a challenge for both him and the other justices. Uh, They know they have to work with each other. They probably all have very strong feelings, uh, but they're going to be there together for a long time.
1: Thank you very much, Greg. We really appreciate your your views on such a busy day.
4: We're live from the Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio, and last night... President Trump addressed a crowd of supporters in Rochester, Minnesota, hitting aggressively the campaign trail ahead of the midterm elections. And he discussed the upcoming confirmation vote for Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh, who just advanced out of cloture. That vote anticipated tomorrow. And in his comments, President Trump continued to target Democrats. Take a listen. They want to obstruct. They want to delay, demolish. They want to destroy. That's what happens. That's what happens. And just take a look at what's going on. Democrats have been trying to destroy Judge Brett Kavanaugh. So there you have it, President Trump taking this issue to the campaign trail. Mike Dorning, Bloomberg News White House deputy team leader, joins us now. And Mike, when you look at the comments coming from President Trump about this particular issue, he's really trying to rally the base around this, no?
5: Yeah, absolutely, and that's always a problem for the President's party going into midterm elections is how motivated is the base once the President's in the White House. And here you have a controversy that hits at a key issue for conservative social Republicans who are the sort of the most enthusiastic parts of the base. The Supreme Court nomination, and he's using this and the polarization around this fight to try to rev up his base to get it closer to where the Democrats are.
1: But I thought that, right, the conventional wisdom was that a lot of women voters in particular would be very upset about the way uh, Brett Kavanaugh, you know, the testimony from uh, obviously Professor Ford, Kavanaugh's rebuttal. You seem to be saying that Republicans are starting to get a little bit of a bump in their base. Explain that.
5: Now, there's, there's some signs that they are getting a bump. The the way the White House views it is the Democratic base was already really revved up and women were already really revved up about Trump to go out and vote against him. Now, what they're hoping to do is to bring up the enthusiasm of their base so it's closer to where the Democratic base is and that, in theory, should even things out. The The downside risk is that this will—the or the downside risk for the Republican point of view is that this will also— rev up women. But their bet is that women and Democrats are already so revved up that you're not going to rev them up that much more.
4: And should Judge Kavanaugh ultimately get confirmed? And now we're playing the should have game. But should he get confirmed? Would that enthusiasm bump that we've seen from Republicans last? Because 30 days in 2018 in President
5: Trump's political arena is an eternity. Right. My bet is it would ebb some personally, okay. but you do have some things that would help that, which is you're delivering two tangible things close to the election. On the one hand, you are delivering a fifth conservative Supreme Court vote, which shows tangible results for social conservatives. And the other thing is the NAFTA 2.0, even though a lot of people who look at this closely may sort of scoff and say it's not that big a change from NAFTA, it is nonetheless a trade deal that does change things, that does renegotiate NAFTA, and it's done and it's delivered. And that is something that is of importance to Rust Belt voters and particularly some of the dairy voters in Minnesota.
1: So one of the oldest cliches in politics is uh, turnout is you know really what matters. That really is doubly true in a midterm election, and that's why we're spending so much time talking about it uh, right now and in the larger political conversation. Explain again why why is turnout so important uh, at this juncture?
5: Well, the most the, at its simplest is a vote doesn't count if you don't cast it. But for midterms. Why that matters so much is that the turnout is relatively low, especially compared to a presidential election year. So you have a lot more to gain by revving up turnout. And that's something that you've seen basically every um, every president since 2000 in their midterm elections. They and the opposition party, it's really been turning out the base that matters in the midterms um, this whole century Um, rather than going after independent, persuadable voters.
4: And I think Craig makes a great point, especially when we talk about turnout and just how much is riding on this Supreme Court pick. And just under three hours, Senator Susan Collins, the centrist Republican from Maine, is set to deliver a speech where she's going to make known, Mike, what her position is, how she's going to vote on Judge Kavanaugh. Senator Jeff Flake, according to NBC, is reportedly going to be a yes. This all comes down to Senator Susan Collins, and we're going to find that out at three o'clock. What's going through her mind right now? What political calculations is she making, and what pressure is she facing from the
5: White House? Well, I won't won't, uh, pretend to know whether (laughs) she's— debating this from a wholly um, disinterested view or political view, but her political pressures are that she has to win re-election in a primary in Maine eventually. And this is something that if she goes against the conservatives on this, it will really tick off potential primary voters. Now, on the other hand, she has made a, a very important, a big thing of being uh, having an independent streak, of being sensitive to women's issues, of being sensitive, particularly on Roe versus Wade. And this is an issue that um, both deals with abortion rights and women's place in the world. Now, on top of that, the general buzz is that the Bush family has been lobbying her very heavily on behalf of Kavanaugh, and she is not particularly close to President Trump, but she does have a good relationship with the bush family in fact their summer homes in maine and so she's getting a lot of personal lobbying from that front as well
1: so we know that the president's about to hit the road again it feels a little bit like he himself is on the ballot uh tell us about you know what what is the white house thinking on sending uh, trump himself out there we've got about 30 seconds
5: their thinking is again the democrats are as revved as they get Um, He's got to rev up his people. There's nothing to lose by sending him out there and revving them up. That's not necessarily what everyday Republicans think. We're live from the
4: Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio, and we're carefully monitoring what's going on on Capitol Hill. It's all about Judge Brett Kavanaugh, Georgetown Prep alum, those allegations of sexual misconduct. He cleared the cloture vote, and at 3 p.m. today, we're anticipating remarks from Senator Susan Collins, the centrist Republican from Maine. She's going to say how she's going to vote. Senator Jeff Flake reportedly, another key Republican, says that he's going to vote for Judge Kavanaugh, so all eyes at 3 on the centrist Republican from Maine, but this has turned nasty. And uh, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell saying yesterday just how nasty it's become and saying he could do nothing to satisfy the Democrats. Take a listen to what he said.
2: There's no way anything we did would satisfy the Democrats. Uh, They've always got a reason why the goalposts need to be moved
4: And joining us now on the line to talk about precisely what's going to happen with Democrats is professor at Georgia State University Law School, Neil Kingkopf. Neil, thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. And I I want to ask you, because you are actually the former counselor to then-Senator Joe Biden for the impeachment trial of President Clinton. I was in the Senate earlier today, Neil, uh, following all of the cloture vote, and I was struck to see how Senator Joe Manchin, the centrist Democrat from West Virginia— actually voted with Republicans to move for cloture. Now, he could ultimately decide he's going to vote against Judge Kavanaugh tomorrow when this vote is expected. But what do you think the calculus is, Neil, for someone like centrist Democrat Joe Manchin?
2: Well, the obvious calculus for him, first of all, is he's got to keep his seat, right? And so he's got to worry, on the one hand, if he votes against Kavanaugh, right, he's from a very red state that could harm his reelection chances. On the other hand, I think even in these very red states, um, there's a real concern about angering your own base and people not coming out to vote for you. So you see, for example, in red Indiana, Senator uh, Donnelly decided to oppose Judge Kavanaugh. I think it was a long and difficult consideration for him. Um, it was for Senator Heitkamp, who came out last night saying she was going to oppose Kavanaugh. Um, it's, it's a really difficult calculation for anyone to make. Manchin's going absolutely down to the wire. Um, and I think maybe he's hoping Senator Collins will take him off the hook
1: if uh, if susan collins ends up being a yes then mansions yes is not ultimately the deciding vote it's sort of he's going along with the pack and i think you can make an argument in the state where he's running a 42 point trump win there that uh... supporting trump's pick for supreme court is uh... is probably the way he has to go i'm i'm sort of curious uh, professor, in in your view, as someone who sort of survived the impeachment wars, you know, unprecedented uh, is a word we throw around a lot in Washington. Obviously, people who remember the Clarence Thomas hearings, remember the partisan atmosphere there. Impeachment, you know, again, any of us who lived through that remember that. You know, put this on the scale. It feels like we have gone to kind of a new place in Washington where you've had unbelievably partisan, invective going back and forth, uh, you know, and again, in a very personal way. Obviously, Professor Ford's allegations of a sexual assault, Kavanaugh's very emotional denial, kind of help help listeners understand where this fits in on the scale. Have we gone to sort of a new place in Washington of kind of scorched earth emotional politics?
2: We certainly have. We certainly have. i and sure there were echoes of the Thomas hearings in Judge Kavanaugh's um, screaming fit at his hearing last week. But really, we have gone to a new level. Like you say, I lived through the impeachment of President Clinton, and that seems like a bipartisan um, age by comparison to where we are now. I I can tell you going into that trial, Democratic senators, including Senator Biden, who I was working for, had an open mind about the possibility that they might have to vote to convict Right? They did not go in, sort of already decided that they were going to support their president. They went in, listened to the evidence with an open mind, in a much more kind of bipartisan, responsible way. And today, it is just absolute tribal warfare. If you're for it, I'm against it. If you're against it, I'm for it. Um, and that that's that's a new thing.
4: And that was pretty interesting last week when we saw... The drama unfold inside of the Dirksen Senate office building in the Senate Judiciary Committee room when Senator Jeff Flake meeting with centrist Democrat from Delaware Senator Chris Coons talking about the one week extension to have this FBI investigation which then got again tied in the middle of all of this and and Democrats saying they need more time, Republicans trying to push it along and and, and all the back and forth. And your old boss, uh, now former Vice President Joe Biden, we should note, potential 2020 presidential candidate, saying just within the last 24 hours that he was invoking the Anita Hill hearings uh, and saying that he uh, wished that he had done a, a better job in terms of Uh, controlling some of the questions that were asked for Anita Hill. I would argue that this is just as much a partisan issue as a generational one. And I think here inside of the Beltway, it's been fascinating to watch all of the critiques, particularly the Georgetown prep angle. But talk to me in terms of what this means for the midterm elections, particularly, as you said, Senator Joe Manchin's trying to protect his seat, Neil. But what does this mean in terms of the broader enthusiasm for Republicans and Democrats.
2: So it'll be interesting to see how it works. If Kavanaugh is confirmed, that certainly could diminish the enthusiasm that Republicans have, that the base has to show up for the midterm. If Kavanaugh is defeated, then I think you have a fully energized base, right? And this sort of harkens back to a different confirmation hearing, the Bork confirmation hearings. But the rejection of Robert Bork really energized the, the conservative base and committed them to judicial politics in a way that continues to resonate today. Um, so I think that, that that if Kavanaugh is defeated, that will certainly energize the Republicans. If Kavanaugh is confirmed, the seat's not there; it's not at stake anymore. And while I think Republicans are at the moment energized by this, by the time the midterm rolls around, you know that's a, a whole month away, which in political terms is in eternity, um, that that kind of enthusiasm might not be there. I'd like to to throw um, in a question
1: um, that we asked to our Supreme Court reporter earlier today. In terms of, so let's fast forward, let's say Kavanaugh does make it onto the Supreme Court. What does that look like? Is he always, he and Claire Simons are always going to be at one end voting on the conservative side? Can he rise above this? How does the court embrace uh, its newest member if it is Kavanaugh?
2: Well, I I think it's going to make the court look really bad, right? And, you know, it was interesting, Lisa Murkowski and her comments today explaining why she's going to vote against him was it was precisely for that that the court needs to be above the kind of partisanship that Judge Kavanaugh displayed. And I I don't think there's any way for him on the court to be seen as anything other than that. And it really does tarnish the credibility of that institution.
4: Well, we want to thank Neil Kingkopf, the professor at Georgia State University Law School, for coming on.